the Spirit of Jazz podcast, where music dances with mystery, with your hosts, Bill Carter and Jeff Kellum. Welcome back to the Spirit of Jazz podcast. This is Bill Carter. And I'm Jeff Kellum. It's good to be with you, Jeff. What have you been up to? Bill, I've got, as you know, hundreds and hundreds of LPs. I've been realizing that the only way that I can play them is to share them with people. And so I've been kind of working on maybe doing a, an hour-long community radio station program sharing some of this music. So that's what I've been working on. Cool. You've been in and out of town. I have. I've been doing some traveling, and I'm glad to be home now and kind of nestling about time to light a couple fires in the fireplace. Oh, isn't that true? Oh, yeah. Put on sweaters in the office and, and such. We were entering into a busy season uh, with Halloween past, with the holidays, Thanksgiving through Advent, through Christmas, through New Year's. One of the sad details is that in my neighborhood, as I drive around, a number of the houses already have their Christmas lights up. They're blinking and we're skipping past Thanksgiving. And, you know, that's actually one of my favorite holidays because we sit down and we not only eat a big meal and gather families, but we we pause to say thanks. I think we need to put together a show today about thanks, about gratitude. Yes, I agree. A few years ago, I did a half-hour radio program. was surprised to find a number of jazz pieces that express gratitude or thanksgiving in one way or another. We often think of music as being romantic songs, but every once in a while, you find something that touches the heart that's a little bit deeper. Yeah, that's true. And I think of some of the uh, musicians, some of our friends. Bill Mays has a, a prayer for Thanksgiving on one of his solo albums. And then that George Winston, who's not quite jazz, but almost, uh, had an album called December, which opens with a tune called Thanksgiving. And there's just something about melancholy and remembrance and hope all bundled together. Yes. And as the world seems to reel from one conflict after another, and some of them uh, natural disasters, we, we get so burdened by what we perceive to be so much wrong that we kind of overlook a lot of the right. Yeah. I'll say at the end of the day to look back and say, I know I can find five things to, to be thankful for. Well, and, and isn't gratitude something that either surprises us or suddenly grateful for a gift or a sunset or a relationship, friendship, but it more often is something that needs some intentional reflection and recollection. I think every once in a while something grabs you. You read something and you think, boy, that reminds me of, of this person or this event. And some of us don't act on that. And every once in a while, though, I have to tell the quick story of, of reading uh, a book. Of uh, It's a commentary on the Psalms. And I had the author as one of my teachers in seminary. And I thought, you know, I ought to let him know that this has been helpful to me in my ministry. And I wrote him a note and he wrote a wonderful handwritten note back. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, calling me Jeff. No, he never called me Jeff in, in seminary. I had, <laughs> I had lots of names in seminary. Mr. Kellum was the nice one. Um, but that warm feeling that, that um, I got from his expressing gratitude for my gratitude. I mean, that was a, a wonderful circle that happened. Mm. Uh, what a wonderful story. Um, 
I remember being surprised one time when I picked up an album by the great pianist Horace Silver called The Hard Bop Grand Pop. It was near the end of his uh, career. And he wrote a tune called Gratitude. And as often the case, uh, he would construct the melody from a brief poem that he would compose ahead of time. Mm. And it goes like this. It's gratitude, a grateful attitude that gives latitude to see us through. We have so many gifts that we neglect. If we take retrospect, we find it's true. It's gratitude, a grateful attitude, not a platitude. Won't you agree? If we will start to count our blessings as they mount, we'll find we're lucky as can be. <laughs> Who would have thought Horace Silver was a poet? That's it. It's not, it's not, you know, classic poetry, but it works and it reminds us count our blessings look back and particularly to pay attention to what has come as a gift to us yeah you know i think of musicians on a bandstand who have just done uh, a set um and then look at one another afterward and think man what a great solo that was thank you yeah and thank you for your contribution to to what we did tonight yeah. I, well, I remember going backstage. It was a Bailey Hall at Cornell University. You know that place. I know that place. Yeah. And I think I was 20 years old. I called my friend Mark, who was a student there. And um, we went to hear the Count Basie Orchestra. And it was near Count Basie's end of his life. And uh, they they were amazing. I mean, just so subtle and kind of slow shuffling out on stage and then Bam, it's an hour and a half of sheer swinging all night, just tight. And when the concert was over, I said, come on, let's go backstage, say hi. They kind of looked at me and I go lead the way. We find the backstage and we go back and there are like four guys from the orchestra sitting around a card table. There's the count. He looks tired, which at that point in his life, he was. There's an empty bottle of Maalox on the card table. And he looked up at me and said, yes, son. And I said, Mr. Basie, I love your music. I've grown up with it. And I'm here to say thank you. Wow. And he looked at me, kind of nodded, and I was dismissed. And we're walking out. And Mark said, didn't you want to talk to him? I said, I just did. I, I said everything I needed to say. Thank you. Bingo. So, so let me tell you a story about a song of gratitude I, I will actually slip into the piano room in a little bit and uh and play a little bit and so you can hear some in 1958 the dave brubeck quartet was sent by the united states through the state department to uh, a world tour mostly to demonstrate jazz as music of freedom and sent to places where freedom was teetering post-world war ii so in March, they were in Poland, and they played 11 concerts in Poland, and it was a kind of a tenuous time. I mean, here's the quartet traveling with bass and drums and saxophone, and they're in a bus, and Brubeck said this bus was old. It had to be older than the war had been, so we're talking, you know, 18 years old. There are no floorboards, so you can look through and see the gravel road underneath the wheels. There's no heat. It's cold. Everything was beat up. The country had been destroyed so terribly. And they took us to the Chopin Museum 
Frederick Chopin, the great pianist and composer. There was a statue of him that had been demolished in the war that had been rebuilt. They went to the house. He saw a cast of Chopin's hands, a death mask, and then the piano where he had performed and composed. And it just kind of overwhelmed him. And that night they had another concert. So as they're riding off to the hotel, he sketched a tune and it was called Jankuje, the Polish word for thank you. So he came out with uh, the chords kind of written down on the back of a piece of paper, which he gave to the bass player. And he played basically played it by himself, and it sounded like Chopin. So here's a little bit of what that sounds like. It's in B-flat minor, which is one of the saddest of keys. And he said, we played it. And I was adding like Chopin-like flourishes to it. And when I finished, there was no applause. Wow. Everything was still. Yeah. And he worried he had insulted the people by linking the memory of Chopin to jazz. And then all of a sudden, they erupted they leapt to their feet, they shouted, they stomped, um, and they responded back to him, Jankuye, Jankuye, thank you, thank you, which is kind of what he was thinking the tune was. But it was an incredibly rich tune, uh, which now uh, anybody can find on Jazz Impressions of Eurasia. That was the album, which was all inspired by that State Department trip. But I think of the melodies that uh, linger long afterwards, the ones that warm our hearts and connect us to the things for which we're grateful. Yeah. Um, many years ago, there was a, a team in our denomination uh, who were writing so-called contemporary music. You remember uh, Avery and Marsh. Yeah, yeah songs that they wrote that stayed with me a long time especially after i heard them tell the story what was behind it It was called love them now and the rest of the line was love them now before they've gone away and it was Mm. 
to express your love for people before you've lost them. Well, love is one thing, and expressing thanksgiving and gratitude to those folks while mm -hmm. you still can. Yeah, absolutely. It absolutely. And with jazz, um, just as I felt toward Count Basie and what his music had done with me, inspiring me, uh, igniting a passion and a hope for this music, you know, I think a lot of musicians are come from a lineage before them. There are very few jazz musicians that are completely unique and independent. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some of the most unique, like Thelonious Monk, uh, he, he grew up, he was traveling on the gospel piano circuit. You know, he's got a recording, a solo piano recording of Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. You know, he, he knew how to play hymns. When he recorded them, he made sure they were just kind of a little bit out because he was a little bit out. But it was a recognition of the tradition. I think I've shared before that many of the jazz vocalists that I've heard uh, have, have said they've come out of the church, that they learned yeah. to sing in church choirs, or they learned to play in church. And then as they grew up and perhaps went to school, perhaps didn't, although they've left that music behind, the gospel-tinged uh, music, well, no, they haven't left it behind. They They simply put more secular lyrics to it, perhaps. But that's part of what their heritage was. And for that, I'm sure they're grateful. Yeah, I know a lot of musicians, and you do too, who have felt the church was a little too confining, or you know, spiritually have felt they kind of moved beyond some of the restrictions uh, that religious leaders of their childhood had placed upon them. You know, the don't drink, don't dance, don't chew, or date the girls that do kind of nonsense. But there's a recognition that there's something spiritually alive that needs to then be transmitted to the next generation. Mm -hmm. So the music continues. In fact, that Brubeck piece, Jen uh, Kue, after Brubeck put that piece together, recorded it, performed it here and there, he was consulted by a dancer of Polish descent, Dania Krypska. She heard the tune and she wanted to know, could he use that tune to develop a ballet and commissioned him to develop it? Dave being Dave with his creative ferment mind, he came up with eight different variations on that tune, the original one and then seven more. He did them as a scherzo, a blues, a fugue, a rag, a chorale, a waltz, and then, of course, a la Turk. Are these available? These are available. In fact, there are a couple of recordings I know of. It was retitled Points on Jazz. John Salmon, University of North Carolina, great pianist and friend of Dave's, has recorded this on John Salmon plays Dave Brubeck. And then Dave, of course, expanded that one more once more and took the piece and developed it for two pianos. And he was able to do the Paratori brothers, Anthony and Joseph Paratori, Points on Jazz and other works for two pianos. And it's just wild. And if we weren't going to break copyright violations, I'd play the whole darn thing for the rest of the podcast. Right. That's right. That's all we have to all we'd have to do. Then the the license holders uh, would not be saying thank you to us, but more like see you in court. Yeah. Yeah. Or cough it up. Surest way to, to kill gratitude. But I'm grateful for that imagination and knowing A, that it's possible and B, that imagination propels the music forward. Mm -hmm. It doesn't keep it in the past. It pushes it into the future. Yeah. Uh, isn't it interesting that people enjoy hearing oldies 
people enjoy going to the symphony to hear the great chestnuts or whatever they're called, the war horses or, mm-hmm. or familiar tunes. Yeah. When yeah. you go to a concert, you want to hear the cut the way it was on the record as you remembered it. When really, when music is alive, it keeps developing and building and changing and transforming. And, and if we're open to that, then we too can find ourselves maybe open to more imagination than we realize or, or transformed in some way simply because, wow, that's fresh and new. That's right. That's part of the, the gift of jazz. Even if it's an old tune, it's brought here and now into the present. So it's building on that tradition, affirming that tradition, and yet offering it for a new day. So I'm looking back and I'm grateful. I'm grateful that my mother insisted on piano lessons. I'm grateful for my piano teacher who is exceedingly patient to me. I'm grateful for uh, band teachers, music teachers in public schools who said, yeah, why don't you sit down and try your hand at playing this? And I'm grateful for the high school band teacher who called me out of study hall and said, what are you doing Saturday night? We need a piano player for our band. Mm -hmm. You know, folks who, who took an interest in me and wanted to cultivate that and in some ways have projected me into the future. You know, I never learned to play an instrument, and I certainly would not want to sing publicly. But for me, I look at all the doors that have been opened so that I was invited to play jazz on the radio for the first time. And that came because I was at a classical music station and a professor at a predominantly black school wrote to the station and said, why don't you play some black classical music? He said, we call it jazz. Uh, door opened and i was given this couple of hours on saturday night to play jazz there it is you know one thing after another i've done probably five or six jazz radio shows one of them syndicated and wow Mm -hmm. if i hadn't had those opportunities i never would have met dizzy gillespie or stan getz i think of the musicians i've stumbled upon their music and it opened a whole new vista for me someone had given me miles davis live at the fillmore And one album is Friday night, and the next one is Saturday night. And I listen to this wild, churning electronic music swirling around, the trumpet being played through a wah-wah pedal, thinking, what in the world is this? And I gave it to my Spanish teacher in high school, and he said, uh, I think he had a better night on Saturday than Friday. And, (laughs) And wonder what this was. And then that had opened me up to exploring more music by Miles Davis. You know, who was he? Who who did he whose lives did he touch? What what did he do? What was the trajectory of this music? Um because I sense there's something vital and breathing at, in the middle of it. So we cannot say thank you to Miles Davis or to George Shearing for that matter. Right. Long gone. And but to whom can we express thanks? Well there are those who are playing our music now and whom we get to meet. I get to sit in a chair and watch the band on the stage mm-hmm. and come up afterward and say, thank you. Not can I have your autograph or, uh, you know, some of the just kind of busy work we might do as we ramble through meeting somebody, but to say, wow, thank you very much. This touched me in some way. And the other thing is, I mean, frankly, thanking God for this, for, for me. Right. Uh, part of my prayer life is, is not waiting for Thanksgiving Day and a turkey meal, but every day looking back and saying, I've lived another day. I've heard another song. 
and to honor the source of it all, the original source, yep. and and the living source in the middle of it all. We offer these thoughts to you, dear listener, as we come to the national holiday of Thanksgiving. We hope you'll take some time, maybe light a candle, sit in the darkened room, mull over all the gifts you've received. And if so inclined, write somebody a thank you note. Yeah, call them up on the phone or, or send them a text and say, I've been thinking about you and want to thank you. And we want to thank you for tuning in. We appreciate your listening support. And for those of us who actually make a contribution to keep us on the airwaves or the digital waves, uh, we're grateful for that too. And tell your friends about the Spirit of Jazz podcast. They can find it, as you have, wherever podcasts are heard. Share the word. Let folks know that we're here and that not only will we have some conversation, but every once in a while we play a little bit of music too. That's right. So we'll have some for next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Spirit of Jazz podcast. This is a production of Presby Bop Music. To find out more about Presby Bop, our music, concerts, and recordings, please explore our website at www.presbybop.com. And send us a note telling us what you think about the Spirit of Jazz. We'd love to hear from you. Check in with us again next time. I'm Jeff Kellum. And I'm Bill Carter. Thanks for tuning in.